Uh, good morning. It's uh, good to be here with you. Good to be together as God's people. Uh, as far as I would care, we could keep singing for another half an hour and skip this part. But I guess we'll proceed. Uh, so as Milo mentioned, um, the, the title I've given my sermon is, actually I want to call it a talk if you don't mind. That sounds um, less formidable for me. Uh, the God of Details now you, you've heard the saying, uh, the devil is in the details. It's a fairly common uh, saying. And that, that just means that the, the idea can sound simple, but the success of a plan often depends on the, the small details of the plan. Now for, our, for our study here this morning, I think it would be more accurate to say that God is in the details, and according to Wikipedia, that may actually have been the origin of the phrase, the devil is in the details, and somehow it morphed over the years. I'll let you do your own research on that, but um, that's, that's what I read. So I have four sections that I'm going to look at this morning. Uh, number one, the God who cares about details. Number two, the God who arranges details. Number three, the God who notices details. And then the final section will be something about heavenly details. Um, before I go farther, I, I did want to uh, thank you for your prayers. I got a number of texts. Uh, I meant to say that at the beginning. I, I just appreciate that. If, if we're going to get anything out of this this morning, it's because of, uh, of God and, and your prayers. So thank you for that. I'm going to be looking uh, to start here at a, a little story in 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm not actually going to read this. If you want to flip to it, you're welcome to. Uh, most of my um, the verses I have, the scripture is included in my notes, so I'm going to do the best to I can to announce the reference ahead of time and uh, give you enough time to flip there if you want to. You don't have to, but um, I'll, I'll try to give you a warning if I remember. So we have this uh, story in 2 Kings chapter 6, and this is an interesting little story and, and one I, I'm sure you'll remember as we, as I start describing it, but we have the company of the prophets and Elisha, and they had a problem. And the problem was that their school or the place where they were meeting was too small to, to serve them well. And really, if you think about it, this is probably a good problem to have, right? Uh, the meeting place was too small. I think it means that men were interested in the Lord. Uh, they wanted to learn from Elisha. This cramped space uh, meant that, that God was working and Elisha's ministry was being blessed just like he had asked for uh, before his mentor, Elijah, I was taken up to heaven by the chariots of fire. Yes, God, the God of Elijah, was with their teacher, Elisha. And he had already used Elisha to do uh, numerous miracles. He had healed a town's water supply. Uh, he had provided for a debt-laden widow. He had unpoisoned a pot of stew. And he had healed, or God had used him to heal Naaman the leper. 
So God was moving, and the company of the prophets was growing, and they were crowded whenever they met. So being men of action, uh, they didn't just sit around and mope about their, their current condition. They decided that what they needed was a bigger structure. And with Elisha's blessing, and actually he accompanied them, they were down by the Jordan River, and that's why they were chopping wood down there. And that's how uh, the axe head flew off the handle, as you remember the story, and landed in the river. And still, still today, um, the anguish cry here in, in verse 5, though it's thousands of years later, you know, it kind of resonates with us because I think we have similar reactions if um, the things we borrow break. And this man said, Oh, my Lord, it was borrowed after it had splashed into the river. And to us, it's, it's probably hard to grasp the true value of an axe head. But evidently, it was worth uh, at least enough that this man couldn't afford one, so he had to borrow one. And you know, this was a time when there uh, weren't bankruptcy laws protecting uh, borrowers. In fact, if he couldn't pay you, you might be forced into servitude. So I don't think this man was just feeling bad about losing the axe. I think maybe he was a little concerned about his, his future. Anyway, Elisha was, was concerned, and we know that God was concerned. And you remember the story how Elisha wondered where it was, and he threw the, the stick into the, the Jordan, and the axe had floated and the man was able to return it to the, to the lender. Now, it's interesting that uh, there's more recorded in the Bible about this, this insignificant little axe head than the original building project, which is probably a lot bigger and more grand. So this message this morning is simple. It's just a reminder that, that God is active in our lives uh, he is in the details of our lives, and he cares about the things that matter to us. There's a song. Uh, it's, a, it's a gospel song, but I think it really nicely captures this idea, and it's the phrase, it's on the board, uh, if it matters to you, it matters to the Master. And that, that phrase has blessed me uh, over the last while. I just think it, it accurate, it's, it's really accurate and, and captures what, what I'd like for you to pick up on this morning. So there's a lot of stuff that, that matters to us, um, big things, uh, little things, things that probably should be little, but they look big to us. He cares about all of that and even about uh, mundane, earthly insignificant little things like axe heads. I'm sure uh, many of you are familiar with the book, uh, God Knows My Size. Um, Merle used to tell those stories during Bible school, but in that book, uh, Sylvia talks about growing up in, in communist Romania and in a, in a public school. Her teachers would teach that there was no God. They would mock her about her beliefs or believing in God. And um, finally she decided to pray and ask God to reveal himself 
to her uh, through the encouragement of, of her pastor. And she asked God for a, a pair of shoes. The one she was using to go to school, she had to borrow from her brother, and she would wear them in the morning and come home and, and get out of them, and then he would take them to school in the afternoon. So she asked God for a pair of shoes, and she also asked him for a coat and a sweater as well, and that this would be a way that he could reveal that he was really true. And a week or two later, uh, her father, they saw him coming, and he was carrying a box, and it was a mysterious box. They didn't know where it had come from, and so they knelt, the family knelt down and prayed, thanking God for whatever was in the box, and they, they popped it open, and sure enough, there on the very top was was a pair of girl shoes. And um, she was so excited and, and overwhelmed that, that God had answered her prayer, and she tried them on, and they fit her perfectly. And then she was overwhelmed again because she remembered she had forgotten to tell God uh, what her shoe size was. But somehow he had figured it out, and the, suit, the shoes that she got were exactly the right size. And also in the box was a sweater and a coat that fit her perfectly. And that, that experience um, blessed her and, and shaped her life for years to come. She faced some very difficult things, but she would always go back to that and remember that, that God knew everything about her. And I think that's, that's an encouraging concept for us um, to keep in mind, that, that God knows our size. So we've looked at the fact that, that God cares about details. Uh, let's look at the fact that God arranges details. I'm really bothered um, when I hear people say that kind of an agnostic view of God. They think that there could be a God. They, they leave open that possibility. Um, but if he's there, he's certainly not bothered by the affairs of men. Uh, they think maybe that he's a God who just gives a casual yawn, a celestial shrug, but can't be bothered to help his children. And somehow maybe that maybe they feel that uh, leaving open the possibility of there being a God is better than, than not believing in God at all. But to me, that's, that's a very insulting uh, view of God. It's almost worse than being an atheist. I'm not sure if it is, but it's, it's very insulting. I see a very active and engaged God uh, who is arranging details in, in our lives and has been actively involved you know, throughout history. To say otherwise is to deny that God is who he says he is, that God is who he has shown himself to be. And there are, there are numerous stories in the Bible. Um, immediately you know, it comes to mind like the story of Queen Esther. God was very involved in, in little details in that story. Um, you remember how he kept the king up the one night, and it just so happened that to try to put him to sleep, they were reading the story of Mordecai and how he had saved the king. And just at the right time, uh, Haman is prowling around the, the courts, and he comes in. And the king, you know, tells Haman to do this to Mordecai. All these little details, and they just happen at perfect, at the perfect time. Hardly a coincidence. 
And we can look at you know, the life of Joseph, um, how God used him to save many, many people and accomplish his purpose and you know, these little details throughout his life worked out. And it's easy for us to see uh, from our vantage point uh, we can see it very clearly. I think it was a little harder probably for Joseph to, to live through that, even though he definitely saw it uh, towards the end of his life, how God was working. We can look uh, more recently, uh, a few months ago, the, the escape by the, the missionaries on Haiti. Uh, listen to that story and you uh, some of the details that, that worked out there. The Oh, the day or so before, the guards, they were charging their phones at one place and they changed it uh, to the other side of the house where where their escape route was, was less visible. And the night that they were going to escape, they knocked this big rock out of the way of the door and uh, the guard came over and, and looked and somehow he missed seeing the rock there even though it was a pretty big rock and it was a moonlit night. Um, they were hoping that the generator would be running to give them uh, some background noise as they escaped, but they hadn't been running it because it was out of oil, I think. And uh, just the, the very night that they were going to escape, uh, they brought oil for the generator and started it up to give them some, and it ended up giving them some cover noise. Uh, the, the robbers missed a little bit of money in the bottom of a diaper bag and once they escaped, they were able to use that money to, to buy uh, some time on a cell phone so they could make a call so that someone could come you know, pick them up. Little things like that. I'm going to read a little story in Mark 10, 46 through 52. Mark 10, 46 through 52. This is a story of Bartimaeus. Now they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now Matthew and, and Luke um, say that in the same story that there were two blind men. Mark only says it was Bartimaeus, probably because Bartimaeus was the louder of the two blind men and maybe um, the more prominent one. Maybe Mark actually met Bartimaeus how old was Bartimaeus? Uh, how many days of his life do you think he sat there begging by the side of the road? He probably had a spot. This is a spot where 
Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, sits. There's a lot we don't, we don't know about Bartimaeus, but we do know that the God of details had arranged that he and Jesus would get within shouting distance on this one day. God's timing. And Jesus heard the cries of a man who refused to be quiet, refused to be shushed by the crowd, and because of his faith he was healed. What are the chances that uh, Jesus and his, his disciples would meet the widow of Nain right outside the city on the day of her greatest need, the day she was burying her son. Well, for a God who was orchestrating the steps of Jesus as well as the funeral procession, it was not a surprise that Jesus would get within touching distance of the bier on which her son was laying. And we know the story how, how he raised him. Hiram Bingham and his wife were missionaries in the Gilbert Islands. And I've told this story a few years ago in a devotional. Apologies to those of you who have heard it, but I like this story. Um, They were in the Gilbert Islands, which are somewhere way on the other side of Hawaii, out in the middle of the ocean. And after five years, uh, they were getting along pretty well. They had learned the language, and, and he had managed to translate the gospel of Matthew into the native language and so he sent it they had a supply ship that came every year and he sent it back to um, the mainland or to Hawaii maybe to to get it printed the little gospel of Matthew so he could you know begin to use it in, in his teaching and then they had to wait 13 year or 13 months the ship came back and uh, to his disappointment, instead of sending him printed books, they sent him a printing press. And I guess they thought he could just do it himself. But, of course, he wasn't a printer. Uh, this was in the days before YouTube when you could just figure out how to do things. And it was a pretty steep learning curve to try to gear up and, and get these things printed. But he resolved to, to do the best he could. And a couple days later, don't you know, a boat comes uh, into their lagoon there where they where their house was by, and there are three men on there, and they had been shipwrecked like 600 miles away, and they happened to hit his island, and wouldn't you know that one of the men was a printer, and he knew about printing presses, and in just a few weeks' time, they had the books printed. God arranging uh, details. So we looked at the fact that God cares about details. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. We looked at the fact that God arranges details. He is active. He's an involved God, both in our lives and we can see it in, in the lives of men of old. Now, I'd just like to remind us about what the Bible says uh, about him noticing details. Matthew 10.30 is a verse I'm going to read in just a little bit. Uh, Many of the verses that I'm going to read are are very familiar verses. These are the kind of verses that, that stick in your mind. 
Matthew 10:30. Jesus tells his disciples this, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And this is in the context he's giving them instructions before he sends them out to the villages to minister. And he's telling them, don't be afraid. And then he mentions uh, this to them about the hairs of their head. This was a, a pretty common expression in, in the Bible when, when speaking of someone's safety, saying something like, uh, not a hair of your head will fall to the ground or not a hair of your head will perish. An example of this was when, when Jonathan uh, ate the honey after Saul had um, proclaimed a fast and Saul found out and Saul said, well, he's got to die. And then the men that were with them uh, said, never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. And Paul said something similar to this uh, when he and his 275 fellow shipmates were about to be shipwrecked. Uh, he tells the men, go ahead and eat because not one of you will lose a single hair of his head. So when Jesus says that our, that our hairs are numbered, uh, not only is this an expression of his all-knowing and knowing every detail of our lives, but I think this is also an expression of his love and his care for us. He's watching over us. And if we're in his care, not a hair of ours will fall without his notice. Psalm 56, 8. In this psalm, this was during, during a time when David was captured by the Philistines. And, and he wrote this. A little verse. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Tears, uh, these tiny, salty little drops of water. Uh, drops of water that we, we dab at with tissues and hankies and uh, they get soaked into sleeves and pillows sometimes. Now, this is a this uh, well. This is Psalm, so you know the language is poetic and probably figurative, and there's probably some of that going on here. Uh, you know, I don't know if God has a storeroom up there with these little vials of tears, or maybe drums of tears uh, stored in heaven. He might, uh, but but there are some truths here that I, I think we can hold on to. One, God knows when we're sad. You know, many times uh, tears come in the night when, when other people can't see us. And if they come in the day, we generally try to hide them from other people. Um, tears are just they're private things, and we often try to just, we don't want other people to see that we're crying. But of course, the God who cares for us, uh, he sees our tears. He cares about our tears. And this scripture would indicate that he keeps a record and he remembers our tears. And God would certainly be capable of doing that, even though it seems like a bit of an overwhelming task. Interesting side note, just a few psalms before, in Psalm 51, David is asking God to blot his transgressions out from his records. 
So, but here he's wanting something different. He asks God to blot out his sin, but keep track of the tears. He's taking comfort in the fact that God sees the details of his life, even his tears, and, and he's recording. So honestly, uh, if we're being real, uh, the last number of years for some of us have probably been rather difficult. We know they've been rather difficult uh, church-wise. And if God was in fact literally bottling our tears, uh, he may have had to quit using bottles and move to bigger containers. These feelings are real. Uh, They are raw. Uh, We are people made of flesh and blood, we're designed for relationships, and when partings and differences and changes occur, it causes pain. And unfortunately, uh, things like this don't have an easy fix. There's not a seven-day prescription to heal a hurting heart, but God cares even when it seems that things are unraveling. And he does bring comfort to his people. Sometimes it's hard to see that and feel that, especially in the middle of the night. But there is always a sunrise for God's children. We can look at other scriptures about God's care, about him noticing the detail of our lives. Psalm 139, I won't read it, but it talks about God knowing everything about us knitting us together in our mother's wombs. And then there are other scriptures about God knowing our thoughts, our frames. He knows our hearts. No doubt about it, God, our Father, notices the details affecting us, His children. And that should just give us confidence in His good care for us, His good intentions in our lives even when things are tough. Now, when I'm preparing a sermon or something like this, a talk, um, I find myself, I kind of sit there as I'm putting these things down, and um, I, I guess I sort of wonder what it would be like to sit there and listen. There's probably some sort of character flaw of mine, but I kind of argue back to myself <laughs> So anyway, if I was sitting out where you are this morning, um, these these are the things that would be going through my my mind. So I'm going to, if you allow me, I'm going to respond to the sermon even though I'm not quite done. Uh, two issues that that I might have thought about if I was out there sitting. I said that God controls and He arranges the details of our lives. I could see that almost leading to an overwhelming or a paralyzing feeling, maybe for some of us, Uh, maybe to the point of not being able to make a decision um, because we're maybe scared we're going to do the wrong thing. You know, it's not really that big a deal. Should I go to town now or should I wait till this afternoon? But, you know, if we're thinking that, well, each detail is, is important, we don't want to make a mistake here. I don't think that God wants us to live in that kind of position to stress about these things. I think God gives his children a good deal of latitude in making good decisions. Uh, And then no doubt that he works with those decisions. And, of course, he knows everything in advance anyway. 
but I don't think we need to live in a state of fear. Though I'm sure that praying for more direction than most of us do uh, wouldn't be a bad thing. The second thing um, that I would probably be thinking, or I might be thinking, and this is a more difficult issue, and we touched on it a bit ago, there are times when we know in our heads that God is counting our tears and caring for us, but it feels in our hearts like God has forgotten us and abandoned us. And just saying, oh, everything will work out, God cares about these things, Though that's true, uh, that doesn't always fix us when we're in deep pain. And again, it can feel rather trite. And I I don't have all the answers for that difficulty. I do know that the God of details is also the God of comfort, and he does care, and he will meet us in our place of need when we cry out to him. I'm going to be reading from John 20, 27 in just a little bit. So finally, on the last section, I'd like to look at something that has blessed me the last little while. And I've titled this section, Heavenly Details. John 20, 27 says this. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So Thomas here was struggling with believing that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. And in fact, the week before, he said this very thing. He wouldn't believe unless he could put his fingers in the nail scars in his hand in Jesus' side. So then here Jesus uh, appeared to them again, and he's inviting Thomas to do that. Now I'm reading this scripture Uh, Not so much to highlight this exchange between Thomas and Jesus, though Jesus certainly cared for Thomas and for his unbelief. But this scripture highlights the fact that that Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body uh, still bore the marks of his crucifixion. He had scars. And he told Thomas that, that he could touch them. Small but powerful details, uh, details that remind us in a very vivid way of his love and care for us and his sacrifice for us. Revelations 5, verse 6 says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into into all the earth. A lamb. The lamb. And it's described here as though it had been slain. And some, some people think that that is a reference to Jesus and to his scars the scars that he bears today. We'll be looking at 1 Peter 2:24 in just a bit. So why would why would Jesus bear scars on his glorified body if he had the power of over death and the grave? He could certainly have gotten rid of a few scars. Small details yet powerful reminders of how 
just involved Jesus got into the details of our lives. And I think these will be reminders uh, throughout eternity. 1 Peter 2:24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you, you were healed. So the scars of Jesus, they serve as a reminder that not only is God in control of the details of our lives, and he's actively working on our behalf, it's a reminder that he cared enough about us to come to earth, to receive those wounds, and that through him we might have life. That's a God who knows the number of our hairs, a God who notices our tears, a God who cares about us in our grief, in our pain, in our loss, in whatever we're facing. So if it matters to you, it matters to the Master. Thank you.